0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Just after 5 o'clock on the Voice of the Cape Broadcasting on 91.3 FM I'm Khawah Solomon and welcome To this edition of Question and Answer Forum as we take you Through every Saturday evening now We'll be taking this show up until 6 o'clock inshallah so stay tuned right up until Then where Sheikh Ibrahim was Answers your questions. If you have any Questions for Sheikh um, that you'd like To be answered please SMS it on 47913 That's SMS 47913 479- 913. Once again, we do apologize if uh, Sheikh did not uh, get through all the SMSs as we've been going through, but please note that we follow them as they come through every week. So they're just a little bit delayed but they are being dealt with, Alhamdulillah. So let's uh, welcome uh, Sheikh back. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh.
1: Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. and uh, to all our listeners uh, of Voice of the Cape.
0: Uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was being the resident Imam at the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg, Alhamdulillah, and taking his time out to answer the questions. So let's get State into it, Shaykh. Um, Salam, can Sheikh please comment on an outburst by a recent um, member of, um, I would say, the ulama that the wife must divorce her husband if he and if he bans her from molud? Shukran.
1: Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma inni asaluka ilman nafi'a wa risqan wasi'a wa shifaaan min kul lida'a. Uh, Of course, the (coughs) question that this person posed is related to an incident that took place where somebody made certain comments um, about uh, someone not attending Maulud or not being part of these gatherings, etc. And I do believe that sometimes people, they do say things out of perhaps emotion or the spur of the moment where they themselves may not exactly mean what they they have uttered. Hmm. Uh, Of course, firstly to say that a wife must divorce the husband, there is no such thing. There's no such thing where the wife just simply divorces the husband There is a procedure that they can follow Yes, if there is differences and so on They can see a counsellor There can be some discussion on this There's no automatic divorce that happens like that Mm. Coming from the wife's side Um, Secondly, uh, we know that Islam has given rights and obligations and duties to both wife and husband that they need to obviously carry out and all of those rights is obviously that they should treat each other well they should respect each other they should have a mutual understanding etc of the specific rights that uh, the husband have over his wife is that she must abide by his requests, whatever she, whatever he requests as long as it does not contravene what the Sharia is telling us to do because once a person tells you to do something and it goes against the Deen of Allah Whoever that person may be, we are not obliged to follow him or to obey him So if the husband is asking something from the wife and it does not go against the Sharia Then obviously uh, she should abide, she should try to abide and uh, in this case, speaking about the mawlud and yes, there's a lot of benefit in attending these gatherings where we remember the life of the Prophet ﷺ, where we send salutations on him and praises on him and so on. Uh, uh, nonetheless, we cannot classify this as an obligation or something that, that must be done the way that it is commonly done. So if the husband in this case doesn't want his wife to go and attend such a mawlud gathering, mm. And of course she has to abide She has to respect his opinion And uh, nothing stops her from uh, speaking to him And maybe trying to find out what the reasoning is And if if there's any way that he, he will have a change of heart Etc Because they, they are bene- there are are benefits obviously Associated to some of these gatherings But I do believe that the, the, the wife has the duty To, to, to obviously uh, abide to the, to the request of the husband yeah. uh, There's a specific hadith on this Which we can quote to substantiate uh, authentic narration with the Prophet wasallam says hmm. It is not halal for any woman that believes in Allah And the last day To allow anybody in the home of a husband Except through his permission She should not allow anybody to come there Unless he permits or he's happy with that person coming into the home And secondly the Prophet also mentions in this hadith She should not leave the home if she knows that he is unhappy with it okay and i do believe that these issues are issues that can be talked about they can discuss it they can obviously have some kind of uh, debate around whether it is good to go or not to go but i think at the end of the day there must be mutual respect and uh, we cannot you know simply say if you don't allow me to go then i'll be radical and just uh, take legal steps and stuff like that mm. that is not going to solve anything and it's it's not the way to go at all Okay, so I do believe that uh, a lot of hikmah they have to obviously speak to each other with wisdom and respect because mm-hmm. that is all that a married life is about, and that is how things will get solved. Inshallah,
0: Asalaamu inshallah. Alaikum Sheikh Reef, a nail Polish from last week's um, show. Taking wudu and washing your hands is it a sunnah part. Um, I know the nail polish is haram
1: Yeah, the issue of nail polish Which we discussed a number of times uh, We said that obviously if it prevents the water From reaching the, skin, the nail and the skin Then obviously it will affect the validity Of the wudu or the hustle that the the person is taking Now I think the question here refers to If we are talking about the washing of the hands And it preventing the water mm-hmm. uh, Isn't the the hands itself Of the sunnah parts of the wudu yeah. And yes, when you wash your hands At the beginning of the wudu then obviously that is sunnah because you start, that's the first thing you wash when you take wudu. After making an intention, you you wash your hands, and it is sunnah recommended to do that. But what we also should not forget that. When you do your compulsory parts That are washed during the hudu You repeat, you also wash your hands again Including your arms up to your elbows So when it comes to that part Then obviously the hands is compulsory It is no longer sunnah Part
0: of the arms, yeah. part
1: of the arms. It has to be washed at, up until and including the elbows So in this case obviously uh, When it comes to the sunnah part One may still argue okay, it's only sunnah so whether the water reaches or not it's not a problem But the issue is when you come to washing the arms Then obviously you have to include the hands And if the water does not reach your nail It does not reach the skin um, During that part Then the hudu is not valid It simply is invalid. And if the hudu is not valid Your salah is not valid So such a person must obviously take care when washing and this goes for anything else Not only for nail polish mm. it goes for anything else For uh, anything anything that Prevents the water from reaching the skin mm. From reaching the nail or from reaching The parts that must be washed During hodu. Mm. anything whether It be paint whether it be oil whether It be glue or whatever even the People at work you know they should make sure That when they take hodu, they try to remove those Things first before they take hodu, to the best uh, Of the ability of course mm. to Remove all of those things and then to take hodu. Yes. I,
0: I know I'm diverting a little of, but it's within the context uh, Sheikh Na mentioned you know, Things on your hand Especially working men And they might not be at a facility Where they um, could re- maybe remove the paint Or the oil on their hands What What is the best option? They then? should
1: do whatever they can In their yeah. ability you know, Because obviously that would be A, a prerequisite for them For their wudu to be valid So I think they should be They should actually come prepared for it okay. <laughs> So wherever they work They should carry okay. their yeah. turpentine Or whatever there they use go. to remove these things Carry it with you Because you know you are going to make salah During that particular mm-hmm. time If that is the case otherwise you wait until you come home and you actually uh, do a proper wudu after removing whatever would prevent the water from reaching
0: inshallah salam sheikh uh, uh, sheikh muaz need advice kanala with regards to an agent to give money back since last year march been to the mjc and saw who court but nothing happens shukran
1: bismillah rahman rahim uh, in the case where obviously this person has been uh, having problems with an agent not giving money hmm. uh, there's nothing much i can say in terms of uh, from a sharia point of view. Uh, safe to say that uh, the person could take whatever steps is necessary to to retrieve the money that is owed to him or to her. Mm. Um, uh, this is obviously would become a legal issue if the person is not paying up and uh, perhaps more pressure must be put on the regulators or on the people that are involved and the person who is uh, actually involved in this particular uh, situation should obviously then uh, take ownership and responsibility and see that this particular person uh, gets uh, his or her money back But in terms of what to do I, I, I can't give a, an advice particularly To say what to do in this case It seems to be more of a, a legal issue think, yeah. Or a procedural issue yeah. How are we going to get the money back So I, I believe that if if it means You must go legal Then so be it Or whatever other ways you can uh, think of to, to retrieve your money And we hope inshallah That you will get your money back Because obviously it's not a nice thing To lose a lot of money And we hope inshallah That you will be able to retrieve your money In one way or the other Inshallah
0: Assalamualaikum Can one sit without a scarf covering your hair While your children are reciting the Quran as a lesson They're going over Shukran
1: Yes. If you if you are, are sitting in, in the comfort of your own home Then obviously it is not uh, it is not compulsory upon you to cover your, your head uh, If there are uh, no strange men around um, So obviously uh, that is within the privacy of your home You are allowed to do that And in this particular context If you are in your home and your children are actually now reciting Quran So there is one of two situations Are you actually sitting with them and listening to them reciting Quran Or you are close to them and you are actually listening to them then in such a case, it's not compulsory to cover your head. Of course, it it won't be haram if you don't. You won't get any punishment if you don't. Mm. But it just goes with the decorum and the adab of listening to the Quran and uh, you know any form of ibadah that we do with it is thicker with it is recital of Quran and so on. There's no stipulation to say that you have to cover. Mm -hmm. But of course it is part of the etiquette of either reciting or listening to the Quran. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if this particular woman is uh, actually physically sitting where the children are reciting with the purpose of listening to them or being close so that she can sort of uh, uh, also benefit from their recital, then in such a case the decorum and the etiquette would dictate for her to cover her head. But if she didn't cover her head, she wouldn't be sinful in doing that okay. It's just she, she's missing the adab She's missing the the, the etiquette that that, mm. that the Qur'an deserves On the other hand, the second scenario is If she's just around in the house And she's not really, obviously, uh, intentionally now going there And listening to the recital while they are practicing and so on And she happens to be working in the kitchen Or she happens mm. to be up and down And in such a case, obviously, it's different I mean, she's not at all now uh, intentionally listening to the Qur'an mm. In such a case, it would be okay for her not to not to cover her head There's no etiquette issues here. There's no other issues involved Um, So so just to to uh, to repeat again if she is sitting and actually listening to the Quran for that purpose Then uh, the etiquette would be to cover the head. It's not compulsory, but the etiquette would be for her to do that
0: Salam, I'm in a polygamous marriage. However, my husband does not come to me all uh, at all, I think it is he does in uh, he does if he brings his grandchildren to give me uh, the naqa, nafaka. nothing is being discussed or they are burning issues or never spoken about for more than x amount of years now i 'm living all alone and don 't know what to do. Um, is there any advice Shukran?
1: It is quite clear that uh, this person is uh, violating the laws of the Sharia with regards to his wife. Uh, Albeit a second wife uh, For that matter Because there are obviously certain duties That the husband should fulfill Towards his wife uh, Even if she be a second wife And it seems according to this question That the husband is fulfilling the duties of nafaqah So he sends the nafaqa with the grandchild Mm. But he himself doesn't come Or he doesn't come forward He doesn't visit or he doesn't spend time with the wife Obviously needless to say that The obligation that the uh, wife uh, The obligation that the husband have over the wife It is not restricted only to paying nafaqa. That is only one part of it Obviously you must pay nafaqa. You must uh, maintain the wife to the best of your ability And give her whatever she needs Of material things But surely that is not all that, that involve a married life. You have to also spend time. You have to give your, 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 you know, you have to give your time. You have to give your attention. You have to give your love. You have to give your compassion. You have to give your, your hearing. There's so many things involved. So you cannot just give nafaka and think that you will be safe. You know, it's not restricted to that. And the ayah of the Qur'an, which I can quote here to sort of strengthen what I'm saying, is an ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, Chapter 2, Verse 228, where Allah Ta'ala says, Bil Women desire, deserve Women deserve the like of that which they are obliged to give. Women are obliged to give certain things to the husband, but they also deserve equal. They also deserve an equal share of that Kindness and of that respect And uh, etc. So this Husband should realize that obviously uh, It's wrong what he's doing. If he is married To a second wife, he did so Willfully, nobody forced him. It was his own uh, Sort of, uh, it was his own Prerogative to do that. And maybe at The time he felt that he was, uh, obviously uh, He was responsible enough And he was by the means to do it. But now He has to follow through. Now you've taken the Decision. You can't now sort of Just turn your back, you know, and just say, well, I'll just in money and she must be happy with that. Okay, that's not enough. That is not on, it's not acceptable. Okay, so I think it is important that this woman obviously uh, forces this husband to sit down with her mm. and to have a discussion with her, so that they can decide the way forward. I mean, there's no way that any married person can live away from their spouse, mm. you know, and not get the, the undivided attention that they need, because the money, like I said the material things is not going to make it. It's not enough. So she should force the husband to sit down with her and to speak about the issues and get a third party involved if you, if need be, a counselor, a Imam, a Sheikh, somebody to speak about the needs uh, of both spouses and to speak about the situation uh, so that they can come to some kind of conclusion as to what they want to do as a way forward and if it be that the husband doesn't want to be with the wife anymore She's a second wife now, he doesn't want her anymore mm. Then he should do something about it He can't like keep her in the limbo Because mm. it, it's not fair on her mm. That he's keeping her on the, in the limbo like right. that If he doesn't want to be with her then Rather uh, you know divorce her or mm. move on With That's your life yeah. so that she can also move on With her life. Mm. Now I'm not advocating yet That the husband must divorce the wife Because I don't obviously know the true situation here. What I'm saying is that they need to sit down And they need to obviously have a serious Conversation as to What uh, their married life uh, mean to them and so on, and how they can maybe uh, carve, carve out a way forward for them to, to resolve their issues.
0: Inshallah, all the best uh, <coughs> to that wife. I mean, uh, inshallah.
1: Ameen.
0: Uh, next question, Sheikh, salam to all in the studio. Shukran to Sheikh for educating us on policies. However, I've been paying into a kifayat clubs for many years via debit order, only to find out that it does not exist anymore. Can Sheikh please advise as we don't know what to do now? Shukran.
1: uh, in terms of uh, you having paid into a particular fund, uh, thinking that obviously and believing that the fund is there to secure your burial uh, rights after you leave uh, this world, uh, now that you find out that they're not there any any longer, you obviously need to find out who the persons were that that, that is running this operation. And uh, since you were p- paying through the bank, I'm sure if you go to the bank and ask them who's the account holder, etc., maybe they can give you some idea of the persons who were running. The Account if that is possible uh, And in this case, yes, it's it's sad that that You now discover that you've been paying into a fund But it doesn't exist, so what happens to all of that money That you've paid, okay So you must try to obviously find out if there's other People maybe that belongs to the same fund Or that have been paying into the same fund Maybe they know who the people are that are running it And obviously the money that you've been paying In all the time is your money So if you can get it back, that would be great So that you can keep it and uh, Invest it in something else uh, That will secure that particular uh, of your life so that is what you should do but in terms of you obviously uh, making preparations for your coffin and when you die and all of that that is part of the preparations that you must do in whatever way Um, uh, What the sharia stipulates in fact is if a person dies and he didn't make any preparations for for those uh, issues then the money will simply be taken from his estate whatever money he has in his estate of his assets the money will come off from there to actually secure his ground that is going to be buried in the cloth that is going to be buried in all of that comes from his own money of his estate in this case uh, sadly the person has already paid maybe a substantial amount to a particular fund but now just to find out that the fund doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So I, all that I can say from, there's not much from a Sharia again point of view that I can say, except that you must try to follow up and see who these people are. And if it's possible to get into contact with them to find out what happens now with the money that you've been paying in all the time. Because surely that money does belong to you and to no one else.
0: Shukran. assalamu Alaikum, Please justify the nafaka. Uh, to your wife? Is there specific ki- criteria to follow?
1: Yeah, a very, very broad question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the person wants to know exactly you know, what, what does my wife deserve from me when uh, I give a nafaqah. Now, of course, we, we're not going to give you a list from 1 to 10 to say this is what you have to do. Uh, but there, there are broad guidelines, of course. What what does nafaqah entail? And the books of fiqh obviously gives us detail about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, one can say that uh, the minimal would be to provide the wife with uh, obviously food to eat every day, um clothing that is suitable for both seasons or for all seasons. Uh, she must obviously have a place to stay in and all the other necessary things that she deserves to have. Uh, And that she obviously needs in her life Uh, Items of hygiene and stuff like that uh, That must all be supplied by the husband Okay, So everything that she needs to survive As a human being and as a wife and as a mother On a daily basis That is obviously what she Uh, What she deserves Uh, Of course that is the minimal (laughs) And we we obviously are not going to uh, Tell husbands you know that just pay the minimal And nothing more In fact the more you pay the better it is The more you give to your wife It's not lost you know what what you give to your wife In fact there is a a beautiful hadith That actually says you know whatever you give to your wife Is a a form of sadaqah that you are giving so, so don't look at it as as only being an obligation. Don't look at it as uh, being something that you know uh, a burden to you, etc. Uh, however, uh, from the uh, let me just call that hadith first, just to to show us that if you spend the money in, in you know on your family, on your wife specifically, there's great reward in it. You know if you do it for the purpose of fulfilling your duty. And in this particular hadith, the Prophet sallallahu he says, uh, "وَإِنَّكَ لَنْ تُنفِقَ نَفَقَةً تَبْتَغِي بِهَا وَجْهَ اللَّهِ." إِلَّا أُجِرْتَ بِهَا حَتَّى مَا تَجَعَلَ فِي The hadith is authentic in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet says whatever you spend as nafaqah, right? You give as maintenance to whether it be your children or whether it is to look after your wife, etc. Whatever you spend uh, in the form of nafaqah and you do it in order to please Allah Ta'ala, to fulfill your obligation, then you will surely be rewarded for everything that you are spending and then abu hasan specifies in this hadith even that which you and, and this is the exact wording of the prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, even that which you put into the mouth of your wife of food or whatever you give her to eat You will actually get a reward for that As if it is a sadaqah So although it is an obligation that you are fulfilling You are actually getting a reward from Allah ta'ala for it Okay So the basic things obviously is what 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 you should give to her But if you can give more and over and above that Obviously it will be great It will be a sadaqah But at the same time we also say two, two important points here is How do we judge Because some people um, They are confused on this issue You know how Should we give like expensive things How do we judge what is expensive and what is not and what is okay to give and what is not and, and and those kinds of things and basically what we say here is the the custom of the place that you are living in and the norms of that particular society and the norms of your particular circle and and, and your particular standing that will all be taken into consideration so in South Africa in Cape Town for example, there's a certain context what, what 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 is considered to be a good meal for a person to have every day what is considered to be clothing that is decent you know to wear for summer and for winter and stuff like that so the custom plays a big role in setting the standards of these things and then also another point which is important to remember is that the Sharia also gives due consideration to the status of the husband and his capacity of giving because every person's capacity is not the same okay some people are affluent some people are wealthy some people are uh, you know they are in between they are not poor but they, they have something to go on and they, they can at least give uh, whatever is within their means so the wife must also be said and sensible when it comes to this, and the wife should not, for example, demand on the husband to give things to her on a standard that he cannot afford. Because surely when she married him, maybe she knew already that this is the standard that he comes from, or that he's uh, this is the type of work that he does, and this is what he can give me. So the wife should not put added pressure onto the husband if she knows it is beyond his reach. And this is actually in the Quran where Allah Taala says, it's a it's a very nice ayah that that shows that Allah Taala does not put something uh, uh, you know on your uh, as a responsibility to you if you cannot fulfill it. And in this ayah, Allah Ta'ala says, This ayah basically means that the man that has abundance, that has a lot, let him spend according to his means. So if a person is affluent, you also shouldn't be stingy. Mm-hmm. You know, if he can afford to spoil his wife, if he can afford to give her nice things. Then he shouldn't give her just the minimal or just give her the basics because he can afford a bit more Here the Quran is saying those people of abundance let them spend according to their means Whatever they can give let them give that And the man whose resources are restricted on the other hand who is not as affluent, let him spend according to what Allah has given him. Mm. Because Allah gives our rizq in different ways. So let him spend according to what he can afford. And then at the end of this verse, which is the most important part, Allah Taala says, Allah does not put a burden on anyone that is beyond that which Allah has initially given the person. Mm. So whatever Allah has given you, that is your capacity. And you should be happy with it, and you should be satisfied with it. And the wife should also learn to adopt to to adopt to this kind of situation. So broadly speaking, it is the basics that she requires. Uh, uh, the minimal is what I've mentioned, but in, anything beyond that will be good. Will be a sadaqa, and the husband. His condition will be taken into consideration as well, as well as the custom of the people and the place that we are living in that also dictates to some extent what the standard of nafaqa should be in that particular location.
0: Shukran, shaykh for that uh, concise uh, but very informative answer as well. Assalamu Alaikum, my ex-spouse turned to Christianity and re- remarried a Christian. Um, my two daughters, aged 10 and 12 years, want nothing to do with their father. Is this wrong? He has never been there for them as well while being married to
1: me. Of course, I don't think in this case you can actually blame the children if they uh, have this particular uh, feeling towards their father uh, for two reasons. For the first reason is that you never spend time with them. You never show them any care, any love, etc. And what makes matters worse in this particular case is that you also Turned away from Islam, mm. and this alone is a, a strong enough reason for them, uh, perhaps not to be as sensitive towards him like they ordinarily would have been. Mm. Okay, because if a person turns murtad, it is quite a serious matter in Islam, and we very often say that a person who turns murtad and uh, nobody forces him, and he does it out of his own, there's consequences for it. Mm. Okay, there's consequences, and those some of those consequences are that the the relationship will be cut between that person and his family members in terms of inheritance in In terms of marriage, in terms of all those kinds of things, so even these daughters of his, uh, if they, for example, if it is daughters and they get married, he cannot stand as a wakil for them. You know, if he has turned murtad, he has forfeited that right now by turning away from Islam. So these are the 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 natural consequences of a person who turned murtad. So if the children are feeling in this way, I think we should allow them uh, the space. But at the same time, in the society that we Are living, uh, how about Trying to make da'wah to the person, how about Trying to convince him to come back If that is at all possible Sometimes you can see, you know, the person is already Convinced in what he's doing and is mm. Totally switched over to the other form of lifestyle In that case, maybe it would be far Fetched or it would be extremely difficult To do so, mm. but if in any way You feel maybe there is a way that we can Speak to him or convince him Or, you know, try to ascertain Why he has made this decision stuff like that. Maybe that can be pursued. But I think at this point in time, if the children and the wife doesn't want to have much to do with him, mm. we cannot blame them because it's quite a, a drastic uh, thing that he has done mm. to turn away from his deen and not to look after his kids. Even before, I mean, the question says here clearly, even before he turned uh, away from Islam, he didn't care he much know. about his kids. Mm. So that that makes it very difficult for the children, obviously, to accept him. And uh, we make dua that Allah makes it easier on the children mm. because it's always, they are the victims of all these kinds mm. of situations. They are innocent in all of this, mm. okay? They didn't ask for this to, to to happen and many times they are the ones that suffer. Mm. So we make dua that Allah makes it easy for them, inshallah, inshallah, that they are able to overcome this particular obstacle in their life.
0: Actually, something pops up for me with regards to this because now, you know, they, they're they so distant from from their father but they wouldn't be categorized and also with the the whole madding and becoming working. They wouldn't be categorised in any way as orphans. Um, and you know their mothers are now responsible for their mother is now responsible for looking after them But there's still this father figure that is there later on if they find the time and also at the space that they needed um, Does the mother encourage them to go and see the father and like how How, how much contact are you allowed to have in, in that essence with regards to you know non-muslims and them being your, your parent And they've turned in that way as well
1: I've um, yeah, I'm going would,
0: to the house or not? Or not. yeah,
1: I would like to make a distinction between non-Muslims, just plain people who are not Muslim, mm. and people that have turned away from Islam. Okay, there's a difference between the two. If your parents are non-Muslim initially, then obviously you must do good to them. You must obviously try to encourage them. You must try to love them. You you must love, not try. You must love them. You must have compassion to them and so on. I quoted a verse many times before where Allah says in Surah Luqman that should your parents tell you to come at shirk even you know, tell you to ascribe partners to Allah, then what should you do in such a case? Allah Ta'ala clearly says, in this case, do not obey them. Because you cannot obey, like I said earlier on, you cannot obey someone if it is in the disobedience of Allah. So if your parents say, ascribe partners to Allah, then you simply say, no, I cannot do that. Hmm. But at the same time, the Qur'an still says, But still speak. Or still live good with them Or still Mm -hmm. live in a a sense of harmony with them right? In kindness and in righteousness Now that is a person who is non-Muslim For the person who is murtad Like I said, there are certain laws in Islam That has been instituted To deal with the situation of somebody that becomes murtad And of the consequences Of somebody that becomes murtad Is that this relationship will be severed With family members for the reason that obviously now there's no inheritance there's no connection in that way there's no there's no ties uh, and all all of that so uh, i would say As far as uh, the children and the Wife are concerned, if it is for the Purpose of communicating with Him, maybe for the purpose of speaking To him in terms of da'wah And maybe getting him back, or speaking about Islam to to him and so on On that level, it should be okay Mm. But if it is a matter of now accepting And just, okay, it's fine, let's just Mm -hmm. carry on as if nothing Has happened, Mm. Islam doesn't Really encourage that Because your decisions have consequences Whatever decisions we make, have Consequences, Mm. and like I said, I made this Example before it's like any other Laws I mean if you look at the the laws that Allow you to to enter certain countries And so on you must have a visa and so on Mm. They stipulate simply they tell you One to twenty these are the rules Mm. And if you can't abide by these Rules you simply cannot enter the country Simple as that and we have to abide by it Mm. So Islam also have rules So if a certain person has made this decision by himself There will definitely be certain consequences To the effect of uh, the inheritance And he won't be able to be wakil for Mm. his children, etc, etc All of that will kick in Where unfortunately he will not have much say As far as those things are concerned
0: all right, Sheikh. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna skip one question and deal with the, the shorter. It's a, it's a shorter answer because we just have three minutes left before we take a break. But can one make salah? Um, can my one make join salah, bringing Isha forward to Maghrib?
1: Yeah. The quick answer is yes. Obviously, you can join Maghrib and Isha, mm. either in the time of Maghrib or in the time of Isha. Of course, the conditions must be met for joining the prayers. And the main condition is that you must be on travel for example mm. okay uh, so if you are on travel and the travel is a lawful travel mm. where you are not committing anything that is haram and stuff like that and the distance that you are traveling is a distance that would allow you to make uh, the joining of praise mm. so if all these conditions are met then yes you can simply make uh, joining of praise between Maghrib and Isha either in the time of Maghrib or in the time of Isha you can either delay Maghrib to Isha okay. or you can simply bring Isha forward to Maghrib I don't know if the person is perhaps asking can you do it in normal circumstances And the answer is no yeah. You cannot do it in normal circumstances mm-hmm. You must be on travel There must be a very good reason for you to want to take the salah Out of its original time And the main reason that we supply here Is the, the reason of travelling There are perhaps one or two other issues That we can also bring up as examples for That would, that would actually uh, Merit a person to perform The joining of prayers between Maghrib and Misha
0: Sheikh please tell me I only heard Um, I only heard 40 years later that my father who raised me was not my real father But my biological father had no time for me Uh, What or how do I handle it both as they have passed on?
1: Yeah, in this case, uh, of course, now that they've passed on There's not much you can do except to make dua for them and for yourself uh, you are obviously perhaps in a state of uncertainty and uh, uh, you're not settled and your heart is maybe not finding rest because of the information that you've discovered. So make dua to Allah ta'ala to bring contentment to your heart and acceptance for the information that you have received. Uh, other than that, there's nothing much you can do in terms of now, uh, so so your your biological father didn't have time for you, but he's no longer there, so what you can't do anything about it to rectify that. Um, your own father perhaps kept it away from you But he's also gone So you can't do anything about that either um, The only thing that I can think of perhaps Is that if there's any possibility of you ascertaining Whether your biological father has got any other family members That would now obviously be your family as well Maybe family members that you were not aware of Or that you did not meet before Then perhaps this could be one of the ways in which you can Uh, Sort of make up for lost times or try to at least join with family ties Because this will be something which has its merit and which is highly encouraged in Islam Mm -hmm. Where we always try to look up our family try to join ourselves with them try to uh, this is called in in, in Islam It's called silatul Rahim actually to join you know yourself with your family members Because Islam encourages this on a very 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 great in a very great way so That is the only thing that you can possibly do Uh, and i think maybe your question revolves more around how do you deal with this in terms of your own psychological state and the only thing i can say is make dua to allah to bring that contentment to your heart to bring acceptance to your heart for whatever you've discovered, and I'm sure it must be hard. It it can't be something easy, where you find out after so many years that the person that you thought is your real father is not, and your real father, didn't, you know, did not really care about you. It must be difficult, right? But Inshallah, no matter how difficult it is, I'm sure Allah Taala is able to remove that difficulty from the heart and to mo- to remove that sorrow, you know, that you are uh, experiencing at this point in time, and to substitute it with a feeling of acceptance and a feeling of happiness. Inshallah. So that is all I can say uh, Do your, your dua regularly And your dhikr you know, Ask Allah ta'ala to remove whatever uh, Emotions you have uh, Regarding this issue
0: If a couple marries and two days later Finds out they are hamil Can the father be the wakil of the child?
1: According to the majority of, of Scholars and ulama uh, A person who has uh, Committed the act of fornication And zina where a child is co- Consumed out of wedlock and of course the child will be regarded according to the majority vast majority of scholars the child is considered to be illegitimate uh in the sense that the father is not the, bi- the biological father now is not now the legal father anymore okay or he cannot act as the legal father Um, This is the vast majority of scholars view that a person who has done this, uh, obviously he needs to make Tawbah and and so on and so forth. And at the same time, it means that he has also now forfeited his right as the father of this child from a Sharia point of view. Mm. This is the majority view. There is a minority view. Which I did mention on a some time back as well. That says that look, if they got married like that and they are really sorry for what they have done and so on, and they make tawbah, and the child is born six months or more after they get married, then inshallah they should just make tawbah to Allah Taala and leave everything as is, because Allah Taala is able to forgive their sin. And forgive the shortcomings, okay? I would suggest that this uh, person who's asking the question Rather consult with somebody personally uh, Who who has the knowledge of the Sharia And the knowledge of the law of Allah Ta'ala To be able to take them through uh, what the options are What the condition would be Instead of now just giving a quick answer Mm -hmm. over the air Rather have a consultation Consultation. with somebody To give a more in-depth sort of uh, input as to what the status is but those For are the, the two children. views the majority of scholars uh, they ascertain that such such a child is illegitimate and the parent does not have any right over the child and the child will now take on the uh, the mother in fact will become now the guardian of the child oh. the, ma- the child will be attached to the mother only the child can still inherit from the mother the mother can inherit from the child but not from this particular father who has obviously uh, now. Um, Committed the act of fornication out of wedlock and the child was consumed in that way. The father is not really giving given uh, Consideration in that particular way
0: yeah. Salam can Muslims sell stuff Where the money you pay goes to a church um, Is it not better for the mosque to have it for unemployed people to sell their goods?
1: Yeah, certainly. I would say the masjids uh, should uh, try to have various uh, avenues in which they can help unemployment and maybe uh, employ people to sell things for them in order to mm-hmm. generate funds. Uh, in the case where somebody is doing it in aid of a church or to help a church, etc., this uh, initially is not allowed because you you cannot do something that uh, obviously is going to uh, aid uh, the uh, proliferation of beliefs that are perhaps incorrect okay and the ayah of the Quran where Allah wa ta'ala says the ayah says do not help and assist each other in that which will lead to wrong or injustice or that will lead to uh, corruption etc etc so I would agree with this person that uh, the masjid, if they could do this it would be much better and obviously that this would be uh, a good thing for the masjid and for the people who are unemployed to uh, gain and to benefit uh, from such a uh, an operation
0: Inshallah, shukran, sheikh Salaam sheikh, what can I do? My son is very rude, he doesn't Listen, he just wants to do his own Thing, not sure how old the son is As well,
1: yeah that would have helped actually <laughs> yeah. If we knew the age but Nonetheless no, yeah. I think it's a Obviously if a child is acting in this way uh, I normally say that you know This must have been coming on for some time It It is not something that would just happen In isolation Okay, there must be some reasons that the child was either spoiled or the child was never really, uh, you know, um, reprimanded, etc. Hmm. So now the child is acting up and think that uh, you know the child can get away with anything, etc. I think it is important for the parents to assert themselves, to obviously play the role as parents, and to ensure that the child understands that. The child is merely the child and the parent is the parent. Mm. Okay, many times what should I do? You should be the parent and be let the child be, be the, the child. child. That is the answer to this, right? So if it means that your child is not listening, then it means you need to treat the child in such a way that will make him believe that whatever you are going to do are going to have consequences in the home that you live in. Mm. So if it means you're going to take away privileges, then so be it. If it means you're going to punish them in a certain way, then, then so be it. Because the child needs to understand that if he lives under the roof of his parents, that he needs to abide by whatever rules they set out. And after all, those rules will be for his own well-being. Or her well-being okay so this is a case whereby uh, a very strong sort of assertiveness must come from the parents and i think if it, both parents stand together in, as far as this is concerned i think what happens at times is what we see happen is that many times the, the children they have a way of manipulating the parents hmm. they have a way of you know if mommy says no then I can go to daddy or if daddy says no I can go to mommy and they sometimes even go the route of trying to uh, you know cause arguments between mommy and daddy because at the end of the day they will benefit by it hmm. you know so we must be clever we, the parents must be cleverer than that and they must be able to know that look we need to obviously be unified when it hmm. comes to issues like this so if the child is out of line if the Child is speaking rudely, or if the child is not fulfilling a chore that he's supposed to be fulfilling in the house, then both mother and father must, uh, you know, team up together and say, Look, we won't accept this. It mustn't be a case whereby the mom is going to scold at him, but the daddy's laughing because he thinks it's funny. Okay, because mm. if that is the case, then the child develops an attitude. Because if if daddy thinks it's okay, then then, then what's the problem, mm. right? So I think uh, this is an issue that I think probably uh, ha- had been coming on for some time. The child was probably not reprimanded regularly or whatever, so he's now grown into that idea of just speaking the way they want and doing what they want and not fulfilling duties or responsibilities without any consequences. Mm. So this needs to be. At, 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 uh, depending on the age of the child. That's why I said the age would have helped. But it may be a bit late, but not too late. You can maybe still make Mm -hmm. some amends if you are firm enough to establish to this child that as long as he lives in that particular household, he needs to obviously uh, bring his side and also uh, uh, be part of that family in the way that uh, is conducive for everybody.
0: InshaAllah all the strength
1: to that period. I, mean, well. I mean,
0: inshallah. Salam, what do you say to a guy next to you when taking his hand after Farud salah in masjid?
1: I'm not too sure if it means like what dua do you make or when you shake his Just hand, the, is yeah. it something you utter or. There, there's obviously nothing prescribed particularly okay. to, to say, but there's certain things that are common that, that some people say. So mm-hmm. uh, normally they would say, like, if you take the hand, you say, taqabbal Allah, you know, may Allah accept. Mm. In the Arab world, they also say taqabbala Allah minna wa minkum. May Allah accept from us and from you. Mm. So these are all custom and it's beautiful to make dua for each other like that. And you don't have to do it in Arabic, you can say it in English also. When you take somebody's hand and say may Allah accept your salah. Mm. It's a beautiful dua. And the other person says may Allah accept your dua as well Mm. and your duas as well. Uh, There's also a beautiful custom which I uh, heard in the Arab world, some parts of the Arab world. When they finish making salah, they would take each other's hand. And the person who, who is initiating the handshake, he would say haraman, haraman. And what it actually means is, we've made salah now, and inshallah, maybe, hopefully, we will in the future, we will both make salah in the haram.
0: Oh, inshallah. Yeah, this
1: is a dua, you know, yeah. haraman. Yeah. And the answer to that will be the person who now receives that greeting, he will say jama'an. Jama'an means all of actually, us oh, together. Okay. May, may we all get that opportunity to be in the Harab sure. So there's also a beautiful uh, custom that is followed in some of the Arab countries mm. Okay, So there's no prescribed dua or, or anything to say But if you want to make a dua for your Muslim brother by shaking his hands mm. The fact that you show brotherly love to him and compassion And you, you're making dua that he's good enough mm. In whatever language, in whatever form or way, you may do that
0: I know in Masjid, when the women and they done making Salah, they will say
1: Yes, I think that's the the common, (laughs) Common, the style Allah will give you health and strength to continue with the Salah And with all the good things that you are doing That is also good, that is all fine and well and acceptable
0: All right. next question Is Zaka payable on Hajj savings account in an Islamic bank?
1: Yes, any amount of money that one has that has reached the minimal payable amount Which Mm -hmm. we call the Nisab And I think the nisab nowadays is judged at perhaps just over 5,000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, People can find out by the various zakah places what the nisab is. So whatever savings you have, and it is more than that amount, and it lays still for one complete year, one lunar year, Mm -hmm. where you don't touch it, even if it is for the purpose of saving for hajj, Mm -hmm. then it means that that amount that you have saved for one year now becomes zakah payable, 2.5% must be given Mm -hmm. to the poor and needy from that wealth. And that will go every year, the same thing will repeat itself mm. so the following year after that if you have again amount that is more than five thousand that you kept for one complete year then of course two and a half percent must be paid as a compulsory zakah or charity for the poor and the needy so in other words uh, the purpose for which you are saving is not going to have an impact on you having to pay the zakah or not mm. so whether you're saving for a car whether you're saving for a house or whether you're saving to go on hajj Fact is, the moment your money reaches that nisab And you've owned it for one year Then from that point onwards the poor person already own a portion in that money, okay. which is due to them, which we owe to them in order to assist them in their plight and in their difficulties that they and, experience. And then
0: and she say, one lunar year, which means you go according to the Islamic you, calendar." You you
1: try they? to to keep data, to keep uh, uh, track according to the Islamic okay. calendar. Yeah. Yes. So if you have it, let's say. Uh, so and, and this is an important you point want that you're. to back
0: again. Yes, no? yes.
1: It's an important point that you are making that when we have this kind of thing, we must also try to uh, document and say, "Look, mm-hmm. I've put the money in in that." particular month let's Mm. say it was the month of ramadan Mm. okay so that is a month that i decided i want to go on hajj and there was a lump sum of of money Mm. which i put into the bank so that you know the next ramadan the zakah will be payable okay okay like that Uh, so it's an easy method of this when you document it i think a lot of people are also under the uh, impression that you have to pay zakah in the month of muharram for example which is the new year yeah the first month in the new year not necessarily because each person's year will be different Mm. because it's from the time that you actually acquired Mm. the money and it was laying still from that time onwards Mm. that is how you will calculate your year so it is best that you document when that happened so that the following year you know exactly when to pay your zakah.
0: Another zakah question must you pay zakah when you transfer your pension funds to another account and when you reach a pension age?
1: Uh, This is I think somewhat of a a sort of lengthy or complicated question But I can quickly just address the main points And that is I suppose that the person has received a lump sum Mm. uh, payout you know, After having paid pension all the years So if he received that lump sum amount We have to now first establish The lump sum amount that he received now Did he actively pay into the pension fund himself Mm. on a monthly basis Or did the employer do that If the employer paid on a monthly basis without him having contributed, without him having played a role, in other words it was a compulsory deduction that came from the employer side, Mm. then it means all that time he didn't really own the money, it wasn't his yet. Mm. But now that the lump sum is paid out to him and it's now transferred into another account which is his own personal account or whatever account it is, then in that case, that lump sum, if it is more than the minimal payable zakat amount, then he will have to calculate from that point onwards whether he will keep that amount for one year or not Mm. so if he keeps that amount or whatever amount is more than zakat payable which Mm. is more than the five thousand as a minimal so if he keeps that amount from that point onwards for an entire year Mm. then only after that year has lapsed he will have to pay two and a half percent on whatever savings he had from that particular pension fund if on the Mm. other hand he was paying actively into the pension fund Mm. then it means that he's already owned the money The monthly installments was his actually. Mm. And he paid it into an account, which was the pension fund. Mm. So what he needs to do is he actually needed to calculate it year by year already Mm. and not wait until it. He actually had to every year ask himself For this year how much pension did I pay Actively into Mm. this account And accumulate all of that And add all your other cash that you had for one year Mm. And if all of that comes to a nisab amount uh, Which is the minimal of 5000 Then he should have been paying zakah Every year 2.5% If that amount was more than 5000 Of the money that he paid in On a monthly basis So there is zakah, on both cases there is zakah But it just depends on uh, how the contribution took place, who was the one that uh, that actually contributed to the fund Uh, and I think what I get from the question is that the person received a lump sum Hmm. which perhaps the employer has been Uh, organizing for him over the years Mm. so now it is transferred into his account how does he pay his account on that? It's very simple, he doesn't pay his account immediately but if he has that amount or any amount more than 5000 for one year after that then from from that point onwards he will pay 2.5% on that lump sum which he was paid
0: Inshallah, Jazakallah Sheikh to you Unfortunately that's all we have time for We'll continue with uh, question and answer From next week same time same place On, on every Saturday between Five and six uh, Please do send those SMS's And uh, accept our sincere apologies for not dealing With the ones that had come through today But it will follow through on the next week's show Inshallah, Jazakallah once again Sheikh Salamat travel and Salam's home as well
1: Jazakallah khairan to you as well Sister Hawa And may um, Allah ta'ala grant you And all our listeners everything of the best Inshallah